If you've got your Bibles with you today, I'm going to be in the book of Ezra again, chapter 3. We are going to read the entire chapter, just 13 verses. If you don't have your Bibles, Brother uh, Shelbo is going to have it on the screen for you. Lauren is um, still recovering from COVID, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, if you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to read these 13 verses. and We'll get right into the word that I have to share with you today. And if you haven't already shared our live stream of the service, go ahead and do that and invite somebody to join us now for the word. They can go back and watch, watch the worship uh, a little later on. Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And when the seven, seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, fear had come upon them, and they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning and the evening burnt offerings." They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering, and uh, those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the permission uh, which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month, the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For He is good, for His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. I want to read verse 13 one more time in the Christian Standard Bible translation. It says, The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping, because the people 
were shouting so loudly. And the sound was heard far away. I want to preach the second message this morning in this Sunday sermon series we've titled I Worship. And today we're going to be talking about drowning out discouragement. If you will, one more time, stretch your hands toward heaven and pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask you to move me out of the way that your spirit would be increased within me. Let your word come forth in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. And God, speak to our hearts today. Let our ears hear and our hearts receive what the word of the Lord is speaking to us today. And let us leave this place, Lord, more victorious than we came because we've been, Lord, in in a worship experience that has drowned out the discouragement voices that we hear in our life. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Elizabeth. So we are in this series on both Wednesday nights and Sundays, and we're intentionally talking about worship. Worship is not a plan or a performance. There was a plan in place for this morning, but when Nicholas got very sick in the wee hours of the morning, that, that, that plan is not what carried us through today. The, what carried us through today is our worship. It's not about a plan or a performance. Somebody say amen. It's not merely about the time that we spend singing in church. That's not what worship is in, in and of itself. Worship is a heartfelt response to our very awesome God, to our wonderful Savior. And worship is important. As a matter of fact, whether you have really, and only you can answer this question for yourself this morning, whether you have really worshipped yet or not in this service, worship is the sole purpose for the reason that you came to this building here today. This is a worship service. So it is my prayer that we never spend our time getting here only to miss our opportunity to do what we actually came here to do. Somebody say amen. That's my prayer this morning. So as we have talked about worship in the last few weeks, here are a few things uh, in the last few services, I should say, Wednesdays and Sundays. Here are a few things that we've talked about so far. First of all, true worship isn't dependent on the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship is not about my worth. True worship is all about His worth. Y'all help me preach today. We're going to be here a long time. True worship. Somebody said amen. Somebody wants you to help me. True worship. Listen to me. True worship cannot be silenced by our circumstances. It cannot. True worship is giving everything we have to God and holding nothing back for ourselves. True worship can't be silenced by our circumstances. Here's another thing that we talked about. And this one's not popular in the day and age in which we live. But our worship does not offset our sin. True worship involves what we preached about a couple Sundays ago, and that's divorcing our sin. And here's another thing that Pastor Dwight brought out so well couple Wednesday nights ago, my worship doesn't have to look or sound like your worship. My worship may be different than your worship. So in our text this morning, we've been in the book of Ezra, 
uh, for the last several sermons that I've preached. And I actually planned on maybe going somewhere else with this one, but as I sought the Lord and studied, the Lord actually kind of put me on a backtrack of the story that I've been talking about. So we're backtracking from where we've been to chapter 3. And, uh, and in this morning, as we backtrack in the story, the temple is being rebuilt in Jerusalem and, and worship is being restored. As a matter of fact, in my Bible, uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, it says worship being restored. And that's what's actually taking place. They are laying in this text this morning, they are laying the very foundational things that the church is actually built upon. They set up an altar and they offered sacrifices upon it. They kept the feast, the word said, and they contributed toward the construction of the temple as it was being built. And they were restoring the practice of and the atmosphere of worship. That's what they were doing. So you may say, why then is worship so important? Why do we place such an emphasis on worship? Well, first of all, worship redirects our focus from the problem and puts it on the problem solver. Worship does not change. Listen to me this morning. Worship does not change your circumstances. But what worship will do is worship will change you right in the middle of those circumstances. Worship reminds us of how very incapable we are, but how very capable God is. That's what worship reminds us of. And did you know there are actually five elements or five acts of worship, if you will. And almost all of these are illustrated or represented in this text that we read this morning. First of all, praying. The altar is built in verses 1 through 3, and they begin to offer sacrifices on it. In the Old Testament, the altar was for a place of sacrifice. In the New Testament, the sacrifice has already been made, and the price has already been paid, and the altar is a place of prayer. Can I tell you today that if there's anything that needs to be restored in the church today, we need to rebuild the altars and the place of prayer. We need to not just uh, rebuild the altars in our churches and refocus our attention to what takes place in the altars in our churches, but we also, if we haven't already established one, we need to reestablish or newly establish an altar and a place of prayer in our own homes. Because if the only time that you really pray and, and talk to the Lord is when you're in this building, you're going to be very spiritually sick and weak. But what we need in the church today is we need to get back to a dedicated time of prayer. Prayer is one of the acts of worship. God can't speak to you if you never talk to Him. Hello, somebody. God can't give you direction if the only time you ever talk to God is when you got a problem that you need Him to fix in your life. Because God is not just your fix-it man. God is your your friend that sticks closer than a brother. When you get to the place in your life when you feel like nothing else, nobody else cares and nothing else can help you and nothing else is going on when you've had a regular devoted time of prayer and communication with the Lord you'll quickly find that God is right there. He has not left you and He's there to give you direction right in the midst 
of those circumstances. That's one of the acts or elements of worship. The next one is giving. In, in this passage of Scripture, if you go back and read verses 5, 6, and 7, they gave. They knew what it was to give. They, they, it said specifically they gave for the construction of the temple. We've got that going on right now. That's what the building fund is for. They gave. Giving is an act of worship that needs to be talked about and, and reinstituted in the church today. Praising. We're going to talk a lot about praising. But if you read verses 8 through 13, uh, they, it talks about praising. Praising is an act of worship. We're going to talk a lot about it here in just a minute. Preaching. So we've got praying, giving, praising, and now preaching. The fourth element or act of worship. Preaching is represented throughout this entire book. Ezra was actually a priest and a scribe. He was both. And Ezra was actually the one who stood up in the temple and preached the message on divorcing sin. You can read that yourself. That was Ezra's sermon. I just gave it a title and preached it to you a few weeks ago. Preaching is a part of the act of worship. And then the fifth element or the fifth act of worship is communion. Communion is actually represented in this passage just simply because it, it tells you, it notes to us the, the fact that they kept the feast. Well, the feast of the Old Testament were one thing, but communion is a holy sacrament that was instituted by Christ Himself in the New Testament for us to continue, as I read to you this morning, to do. As often as we do it, Christ instituted it Himself in what we know as the Last Supper. That's when communion was introduced. So we have five elements or acts of worship. And can I tell you that every single one of these elements, every single one of these acts of worship are all important. We can't pick out the ones that we like and disregard the rest. Hello, somebody. Oh, going to get quiet right now. Because true worship doesn't allow us to choose what's comfortable to us. But true worship rather sometimes causes things to get quite uncomfortable. True worship sometimes requires things to get rather uncomfortable. Well, what are you talking about? Pastor, it's not really a comfortable thing to make yourself have a dedicated, uh, set-aside time, specified time of prayer in your life. That's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not really that comfortable to dig into your pocketbook and give like the Word of God instructs you to give. I need some givers to help me preach because the non-giver is about to get mad. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to give. I'm not going to look up when I say it, which actually I can look up. You know why? I don't look at who gives what. So I can look at you and if you're guilty, I don't know, but you know. huh? That's good. But anyway, giving is something that we're supposed to do and the Word says we're supposed to give one-tenth of everything that God blesses us with to the house of God. That's what God's Word says for us to do. That's not always comfortable. When you dig into your pocketbook and give 10% of everything that comes into you, that's not always a comfortable thing to do. Praising. Sometimes you got to praise when you don't feel like praising. Can I get a witness this morning? Praise is not always a comfortable thing to do. Sometimes you got to push through it. And here's where I really like to preach just a little bit on preaching. Because we like our preaching to be comfortable, don't we? We want to choose the acts of worship that we like and sometimes put aside those that we don't. 
It wasn't real comfortable, I'm sure, when Ezra stood up in the, in the temple and preached on divorce and sin. When he called them out and said, okay, that was a whole other sermon, but some of you wasn't here, so I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis of it. He actually specifically called some of them out by name, and he said, you took a strange wife. You took a strange wife. You took a strange wife. And you took a strange wife. He wasn't, uh, as I preached that Sunday, he wasn't talking about the type and shadow that we read. Yes, they divorced those wives and even put the wives and the kids away that were uh, results of those marriages. But the point was, it was forbidden spouses. There are some things in the church today that the church, who calls themselves the church of the living God, has allowed themselves to become married to, if you will. And they don't want to divorce them. They don't want to put them away. They want to come in and they want to consider, oh, I'll give my praise. That's one of those five acts of worship. But now, preacher, don't you preach anything that convicts me. Don't you call me out and tell me I've got sin in my life. Boy, ain't nobody helping me this morning. Don't you tell me something I don't want to hear because that's uncomfortable. But I want to tell you something today. True worship does not make you comfortable. True worship gets quite uncomfortable when it's true worship. Can I hear an amen? And then communion. They kept the feast. We took communion this morning. It's something that we ought to continue to do on a regular basis. Every single one of those acts of worship is important. True worship also has a sound. Did you know that? True worship has a sound that drowns out the noise of this world. So, I ask you the question this morning, what happens... When true worship goes missing. What happens in the church when true worship is missing? When the sound of true worship is gone. And I thought about this this week as I penned this sermon. And I know that I realize we're in a modern day worship society and that's good. But we have a lot of worship going on. A lot of good worship going on. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church world as a whole. But the problem I see is this. The sound in our churches is not drowning out the noise of this world. Did you hear me? We call it, it's too weak. We call it worship. But true worship has a sound that drowns out the noise of this world. The sound in our churches is not greater than the noise of this world. The absence of praise. Do you know what praise is? You actually, you can, you can even worship in your heart, but you can't praise without doing something outward. Did you know that? You either got to open your mouth, lift your hands. We'll get to all that in a minute. But praise the Lord. The absence of praise, though, has left a silence. What do you hear right now? Silence. The absence of praise has left a silence that's dominated by the noise of our circumstances. The absence of praise in our churches has left a silence that's dominated by the noise of our emotions. The absence of praise in our churches has left a silence that's dominated by the noise of discouragement. See, today 
Many people come to church discouraged and they leave church discouraged. They don't feel any better when they leave than they do when they came. The sound of discouragement in most churches, and I'm afraid many times we're guilty ourselves, is louder than the sound of praise. Because most people don't push themselves to stay in church when times get hard. You know why? It's because they haven't experienced a time of worship that would drown out the discouragement in their lives. They haven't experienced that. You see, the reason many old-timers, as we like to call them, were so faithful to the house of God was because they understood the power of their praise. They understood the power of their praise. And when they came to church, they didn't just come to church out of obligation. They didn't just come to church because it was another service and they needed to be there. No, no, no. When they came to church, they came to the house of God expecting that God would meet them there and that God would move in their circumstances. When they came to church, they came to church to worship. They came with one intention and that intention was to get their mind off of their problems and spend just a little bit of time with their mind being on the one who holds the solution because they understood that when they praised things began to happen in the heavenlies they understood that when they prayed miracles began to take place they knew that while they were worshiping it did not matter what was going on in their lives while they were in the house of God worshiping God was waging war on their behalf they understood the power of their praise They did what the psalmist David admonished us to do. They entered his gates. They came in the doors of the church with thanksgiving. And they came into his courts with praise. See, they understood the way into his presence was praise. Did you hear your pastor this morning? I said, your way into His presence is through your praise. Your praise. Let that sink in this morning. Pastor Dwight brought out so well a week and a half ago on a Wednesday night, your praise doesn't have to look like my praise. Your praise doesn't have to sound like my praise. Your praise is just that. It's your praise. And there are nine different types of praise mentioned in the Hebrew. I want to talk about some of them this morning. First of all, Barak. Barak means to kneel and bless God as an act of adoration. So when you're in a worship service and you see somebody just get down on their knees and begin to worship, that's a Barak kind of praise. That's what, that's what it means. Psalms 95 and 6. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. That's number one. Number two, then there's yada. Yada means to worship with an extended hand. Psalm 63 and 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 134 and 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Could I get you to lift your hands for just a moment, everybody? 
Everybody just lift your hands. That's not unusual to be asked to lift your hands. Thank you. Karar, to dance. That's what karar means. That's the third type of praise, to dance. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord, which represented the presence of God, came into the city of David, Michal, which was Saul's daughter, looked through a window and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. The Bible said she despised him in her heart. But that's what karar means. It means to dance. So when you see somebody in the presence of God and they're dancing, that's a karar kind of praise. Then there's halal. Halal is actually the root, the Hebrew root for our word, hallelujah. It means to rave about to boast, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. And actually, the literal translation means to spin like a top. That's exactly what halal means. Psalms 113 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Then there's number five. There's a shabak. A shabak is a shout uh, or to address in a loud tone. You might hear somebody shabak when they go, Woo! Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's a Shabbat. Psalms 145 and verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Then there's number 6, Taqwa. Taqwa is uh, the, what it means. It actually means to clap your hands. Can I get some people to clap their hands for me this morning? That's a Taqwa kind of praise. Psalms 41, 47 and 1 tells us, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. And then it also talks about the Shabbat. It says, Shout. Unto God with the voice of triumph. So we've got, uh, we've all, so far we've got Barak, Yada, Karar, Halal, Shabak, and Taqwa. Now we're on Toda. Toda is the same root as the word Yada, but it literally means an extension of the hands in adoration. Toda praise looks like And, and open their, their self up to the Lord. Psalms 50 and verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows to the Most High. That's a toda type of praise. Then number eight, there's zamar. Zamar means to touch strings or to play an instrument in worship. Psalms 150 and verse 4. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and the organs. Then there is a tehillah type praise. You know what tehillah means? Tehillah means to sing a spontaneous, uh, in, uh, extemporaneous song. This is the praise that's described by John the Revelator in the book of Revelation. A Tehillah praise, uh, for those of you that want to put it in mountainous terms, that's when you're in church and you hear somebody that says, Oh, hallelujah. Anybody ever heard that? And somebody begins to just give like almost like a singing type praise to praise the Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah. That's a Tehillah type praise. What are you saying, Pastor Sean? Here's what I'm saying. There are nine different unique types of or expressions of praise. There's only one source, one voice of discouragement in your life. Did you hear me? One. One source, one voice, and that voice is the enemy of your soul. He's the one who whispers discouragement into your ears. He's the one who's constantly reminding you of what the doctor's report says. He's the one that's constantly reminding you of what the finances look like. He's the one that's constantly reminding you about what the situation looks like, what your circumstances 
feel like. He's the one that's constantly reminding you uh, that brings about anxiety. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is worrying about something that ain't even ever happened yet. He's the one that wakes you up in the middle of the night and causes you to try to think about and process the what ifs. There's one voice of discouragement. But there's nine expressions of praise. So when you assemble for worship, like we are here today, you got at least ten choices. Did you hear me? You got at least ten choices. You can either cry with the voice of discouragement, or you can drown out the discouragement with your praise. I said you can either cry with the voice of discouragement, or you can drown out discouragement with your praise. Let's read it again. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 13. The word said the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard from far away. I came to tell you this morning, I realize that there's discouragement on every hand. I realize that that we have people that are under attack. Listen, you don't even know all that I know. Just, Just help me preach for just a moment this morning. But if even if I begin to tell you the things that have taken place in the last week, just the last week, in the lives of some of the members of our faith family, you wouldn't even begin to believe it. But the voice of discouragement is loud. Did you hear me this morning? I said the voice of discouragement is loud. But I've made a decision that I'm going to do everything I possibly can to drown out the discouragement in our lives. Did you hear me? you got a choice. you got ten choices. You can either come in here right now and you can sit silent and let the sound of discouragement drown out everything else in your life. Or you got nine different types of prayer that you can begin to select one and say God is good I'm going to worship you I'm going to praise you you can clap your hands you can do a dance you can spin around you can say oh hallelujah I'm going to worship the name of Jesus and you can make the decision to drown out the discouragement with your voice of praise hallelujah if you will stand with me all over the room today. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. The bottom line is this. The God that we serve is a way maker. I said the God that we serve is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper he is my God is he your God this morning I said he's my God is he your God this morning that's what it says he's my God that's just who you are and here's where it gets good the God we serve never hallelujah never stops working the God we serve never stops working Even when you can't see him, he's working. Even, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Even when you can't feel him, he's working. 
Even when you're looking at all the circumstances around you and you say, my Lord, what on earth is going on? He's still working. Even when the voice of discouragement is ringing so loudly in your ears, you can rest assured God has never stopped working. I said God has never stopped working. Listen, I'm sure, I'm sure that when Paul and Silas were in prison, I'm sure the sound of discouragement was ringing loudly in their ears. I'm sure it didn't look too good after they'd been beaten to a pulp. They wasn't just in prison. They beat them half to death. Put them in locks and chains. Put them in prison. I'm sure the sound of discouragement was about more than they could bear. Oh, I feel the Lord moving in this place right now. But they made a decision to release some praise in the, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I said they made a decision you got to make the decision to release some praise right in the middle of your circumstance. Maybe somebody right now, see, they, they didn't just release a little small praise. No, I don't believe a little quiet, silent praise would have shook the foundations of the very building they were in. And the stocks would be broken and the chains would fall. No, that was an earth-shaking kind of praise. But you got to make the decision right in the middle of your circumstances to release a praise that'll break the chains that'll shake the foundation of what you're going through somebody right now just needs to release your praise hallelujah oh hallelujah hallelujah oh hallelujah hallelujah I'm sure when Daniel was in the lion's den just because the lions didn't eat him doesn't mean they didn't roar loudly. I'm sure all night long, every time Daniel laid awake and faced those lines, I'm sure every time he looked at them, they were growling and they were roaring. But he made a decision that the God I serve is going to shut the mouths of these lines. And I believe that Daniel did some praising. I believe Daniel released some worship while he was in that lion's den. Some of you this morning, you got some lions breathing their hot air right down your neck. You've got some lions looking you in the face and showing their teeth and growling at you. You've got some lions that are roaring so loud. All you can do is feel like you want to cover your ears. But I came to tell you this morning, you need to release a praise that'll shut that lion's mouth. You need to release a praise that'll shut that lion's mouth and push him back from off of you in the name of Jesus hallelujah oh I just feel like while she's playing somebody just needs to go ahead and praise I didn't do this in the first service but I feel it right now I said just go ahead and release a praise just go ahead and release your praise don't worry about what somebody else thinks don't worry about what it looks like don't worry about if somebody else is watching just go ahead and release your praise go ahead and release your praise God's looking for somebody to drown out that voice of discouragement with your voice of praise your way into His presence is through your Praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, 
here's where we are. And I'm about to open this altar. In your life, it's up to you. I can't do your praising for you. You can't sit there and stand there and think, oh, I just wish somebody would just cut loose and praise the Lord. No, it's about you and your praise. Nobody else can do your praising for you. And here's the good part. Your praise don't have to look like anybody else's praise. Your praise don't have to sound like anybody else's praise. Because the sound of discouragement is loud. It's everywhere you turn. But what are you going to do? Are you going to allow the sound of discouragement to drown you out? Or are you going to drown out the voice of discouragement as you begin to make your way into His presence through your praise? See, sometimes we get the wrong idea. We think that we've got to immediately be in His presence to release a praise like that. No. Sometimes you've got to plow your way into His presence by your praise. But it's up to you. That's why I've called this series what it is. I worship. Because the only person that can do it for you is you. I want them to play that bridge. I want as many people that will to slip on a mask and join us in this altar. We've got masks on both sides of the altar. If you need a mask, we got them on both sides of the altar. I want you to find a place in this house this morning. Up here, if you will. Let's restore the altars. Find a place up here, if you will, and let's just begin to release a prayer.